you would remain standing now and switch books to the good book that is the book, the Bible, as we turn to Luke chapter 10, we continue our work and progress through the gospel of Luke. We spent six weeks on chapter 9. It's a long chapter, right? So we have made it to chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at the first 16 verses this morning. Uh, but before we read God's Word, let us go to Him in prayer, just remembering that we need God, we need the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes and our hearts now. Uh, we are not, again, coming together. Uh, this is not just a theological lesson. Uh, we're not just learning some theological fun facts. We are here to learn and to worship God, and God speaks to you. Uh, this is actively listening and receiving what God says in His Word. This is God's Word, and let us hear it as such, but let us go to Him and ask for His blessing upon it. Father, we thank You that You do speak to us. Lord, that the heavens are declaring Your glory. But Lord, in Your Word, we come and we know and we hear about our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, open up our eyes that we might behold Him. Soften our hearts that we might receive Him. Lord, I pray that You would loosen our tongues that we might share Him. Lord, bless Your people. Those who need to be comforted this morning, comfort your people. Those who need to be softened, Lord, that you would soften their hearts. Open up our eyes, Lord, that we might come to see and understand your word more, to know you and love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. People of God, hear God's word from the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. And greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a house and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. For you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. 
He who has ears, let him hear the word of God. Please be seated. Now, if you have been here for a few weeks, and even if you were here as we looked at the beginning of chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke, um, there you might feel a little sense of deja vu because there's a lot of similarities of what happens here at the beginning of chapter 10 and what happened at the beginning of chapter 9. At the beginning of chapter 9, you might recall, Jesus sends out 12 apostles and they are healing and casting out demons and they are to proclaim the kingdom of God. And what's happening here in our text is that the church is multiplying and Jesus sends out a larger group of 72 to spread the gospel. And he sends them out two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And what's happening here is that Christ draws his disciples to himself and then he sends people from himself to other people that they might bring others to him. So there's a first coming to Christ, Christ sending out, that those who he sends out might then draw people back to Christ. You see what's happening? That, that's what's happening here. And this is what a follower of Jesus does. A follower of Jesus doesn't simply just come to church, doesn't simply just listen and take notes and attend services and talk about theological things. Those who follow Christ, who Christ has called to himself, also go out for him, share him, introduce people to him, and draw them to Christ. Uh, Notice a priority here, though, that it is first Jesus says, come. This is the most important thing that you can do, is come to Jesus. Follow Jesus yourself. He says, come before he says, go. And if you're not following Christ, don't go. Go to Christ first. Your soul is what matters. Coming to Jesus is of first importance. In fact, one of the best evangelists I knew was a young man. And he just had this way as we were sharing the gospel. He just, you know, some scriptures would come to mind. And he had, uh, you, you know, great illustrations. And people just really enjoyed interacting with him but he's not following the Lord anymore. And what mattered is that he first comes to Christ and doesn't so much matter of him sharing the gospel, what matters was his soul. And that's what matters for you this morning is what's happening in your soul. Have you come to Christ? Will you come to Christ? There's another problem here in our text. In verse two, it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And when Jesus speaks here of the harvest, he's speaking about people's souls. The world is like a field, and every person is like a plant, and they are either the wheat that God will gather to himself, or a tear or a weed that God will destroy with fire. And God is still bringing people to himself. God is still saving people, but more laborers are needed. There are thousands of people groups who still need a Bible translated for them in their language. There are still people that need to hear the gospel here in Tampa. There are people here right around this church that are in desperate need of the words of life and to hear that the kingdom of God is near. Who will reach them? Who will reach your neighbors? Who will reach Tampa? Who will reach the Arab world? Who will go? Who will reach the people of China? 
where will we get more missionaries? Where will we get more people to tell others about Jesus? You know what the answer is? Right here, Bay Haven. This is God's call for you, that you are to be harvesters. God has redeemed you and called you to himself that you might be a fisher of men, that you might be a harvester of, God's, of souls that would bring people to Christ. Do you think of yourself that way? Just as we heard a good sermon a few weeks ago by a, a good chaplain, Mike Hendricks, about being light and salt, very same, similar concept. You are to be a harvester. Uh, God has redeemed you and called you. This is your purpose and calling as a Christian. Now, Jesus doesn't just leave us to think that it's up to us, that it's dependent on us, that only we can save souls, just like only you can prevent forest fires. He tells us how we should respond to the problem that the laborers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. He tells us what we should do. What is the next step for us? So we should pray. Prayer is the most important powerful means of helping forward the cause of Christ in the world. Some of you might think, you know, I don't know that I have the ability to talk to people like Moses, or maybe I feel like I'm too young. You know, I don't have the finances to give to the church to help, but you know what all of us can do, every single one of you can do, is pray. And this is what Jesus calls us to do, and he says this is significant and important for an progressing the cause of Christ in the world is pray. Pray that God would raise up laborers for the harvest. People can build seminaries to better educate. People can give um, to the church. Presbyteries can ordain men, but our text calls us that God alone can raise up people and send them as laborers. Verse 2, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Pray that God would raise up faithful pastors, church planners, translators, medical missionaries, pilots, evangelists. Just give us courage to go out into the world to share the gospel. Pray earnestly and not raise someone up over there, but raise up even in our own children. You know, as I read this text too, and I love my children, that's that's difficult to think about. Would, would Christ be even sending my children to the far reaches of the world that maybe their lives would be at stake? But yet, if they're doing it for the sake of Christ and for the gospel, then that is the best thing that we could pray for our children, that they would be harvesters. The other thing too is, do we have the disposition, if we know that we're a harvester, if we're not saying, here am I, Lord, send me, you have to then think about what's happening in our hearts. What's my hesitancy that we know very clearly that God is calling all believers to go out into the world, whether it's in your workplaces or wherever it is, but what is our hesitancy? Do you feel like there's just too many comforts of this life? I can't give up. I just love my family too much. There's no way I could ever go over there or do that. You have to consider what Christ has said, even in our last sermon at the end of chapter 9, where this man says, you know, at least let me go bury my father. And Christ says, let the dead bury the dead. You proclaim the kingdom of God. That God puts, Christ puts such importance on sharing the gospel. 
you proclaim the gospel. You proclaim the kingdom of God. Don't look back as you're plowing the fields. If you're a believer, whether or not you're in full-time ministry, this is your call to harvest. And so let's pray. Let us be a prayerful church. And not only will the work be difficult, it is laborers, in fact, but it's dangerous work. In verse 3, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. What do wolves do to lambs? Destroy them. They kill them. They devour them. And remember, there aren't many of you. There's few laborers. There's few in number. And yet, there will be spiritual enemies waiting to tear you apart. I received an email this week that was asking for prayer in East India, and I don't know if you're aware of it or not, because you, and this type of news is not reported on CNN or Fox or wherever you get your news from. But since May 3rd of this year, more than 359 churches have been destroyed in East India. Six of those are Reformed congregations. There have been more than 200 people confirmed dead and more than 40,000 people have been displaced from their homes and are fleeing for their lives. That's happening right now in the world. John Calvin, the pastor, theologian, had a seminary in Geneva and they planted thousands of churches and men went out from that seminary and the gospel was spread but often those seminary graduations to Calvin, he would say they felt like funerals because he knew that the men he was sending out, many of them were going to die. Many of them were going to be put to their death because of sharing the gospel, and many of them were. And he wouldn't see them again, not until glory. As a minister, when I graduated seminary, I was told there are three things you should be ready to do at all times. To preach, to pray, and to die. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you too should be ready to do three, all three of those things, to share the gospel, to pray, and to die. We, we do not know when our time is. You might also remember in the gospels themselves or in the book of Acts, the apostles are arrested, they are beaten, they are released and they are commanded, do not speak the name of Christ any longer. And you know what the disciples did? Verse 42 in chapter 5, it says, Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And you know what would happen to the disciples eventually? They would die. All but one would be brutally murdered for Christ. God sends even His only Son as a missionary. God had one Son and He sent Him as a missionary. He would be born in Bethlehem. He would be born to this lowly Mary that no one knows. She's not significant. He would even hang on a lowly cross. And many would say, look at that pathetic picture of weakness. If you were to have a king, he should be on a chariot, not on a cross. We are sheep who are being sent out as wolves, uh, out into wolves, not as wolves. We are sheep who are being sent into in the midst of wolves. And should the sheep, should we learn to howl and pretend that we are like really wolves? No. Should sheep pretend that they are more powerful and strong uh, when in fact we are terrified and afraid? 
No? So what do the sheep need? We need a shepherd. And we have one who will be with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. Our shepherd is the one who laid his life down for the sheep, but not only did he lay his life down, he took it up again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's what the church says sometimes, right? Not only on Easter can we say that, right? He is risen. You see, we are weak sheep, but we do not have a weak Savior. We have a Savior who rules over life and death itself. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, when He sends His disciples to the Great Commission, and it says, go into all the world, teaching and baptizing, you know that, but you know how it starts? All authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. And we are sheep and we have every reason to be terrified and afraid if it wasn't for Christ's promise that He will be with us and that He will protect us as His sheep and that He will bring us to our heavenly home. Our shepherd is over all and He will come again to judge both the living and the dead. Jesus will even tell us in Luke chapter 12 to fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we are reminded not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. So why does God use us? Why, does he, why doesn't God just do the work? Why would He use us? To show His strength. God puts his treasure in pots of clay that are old and worn and broken so that people will not talk about the pots, but talk about the treasure inside. That's why God is using us, that the attention is not about our church, it's not about you, but that all glory and all attention goes to Jesus Christ himself. This is a common theme for God's people. If you remember in Exodus chapter 3, God says, I'm going to deliver my people who are in total and utter subjugation to the people of Egypt. They are enslaved over there, and uh, I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to bring them out, and I'm going to do it through a shepherd, Moses. And then God comes to Moses, and he tells Moses, you know, Moses, I'm going to deliver my people so they can come out and worship me. And I can just imagine Moses saying, that's great. Why are you telling me? You should just go do that. He says, I'm, I'm sending you, Moses. I'm sending you. Are you ready? No, no, I'm not. I'm not really ready to go. Who am I? You know, I don't speak so good. You know, I'm just a shepherd. God, do, do you know who I am? You mustn't know who I am because you wouldn't have asked me to go if you knew. But God's response to Moses is, do you know who I am? I am. I am who I am. I am the God Almighty. And he sends Moses, very weak, and uses Moses to, li- to deliver God's people. Now, God is not necessarily calling you to Pharaoh. There are Pharaohs in the world today. I don't know. Maybe there's someone somewhere. I don't know. I don't really know. But he is calling you to the people at your work. He's calling you to your neighbors or the people you might run in at the grocery store. Or maybe he is calling you to a distant land. 
I don't know where the Lord is calling you, but He is calling you in your weakness to spread the gospel and deliver captives free by the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the message is simple. Some of us think, you know, I don't know what to say. What what do I even say? How do I begin? Look what it says. It says in verse 9, the kingdom of God is is come near. There's a simple announcement about the Messiah, that He's come, that He's here. Prepare yourself. I think we get so anxious about proving or, or demonstrating or winning arguments or, or reasoning within particular doctrines. And, you know, unless I really convince them that, you know, Romans 9 is talking about predestination, we can turn to Ephesians 1. Unless I convince them that, that you know, they're predestined, you know, then they'll never come. Well, you know what? You can convince someone of predestination and they still be judged and go to hell forever. You can convince someone that, that they should baptize their children. But unless they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, They will go to hell forever. The message of the gospel is simple. And we can just share a simple gospel with passion and sincerity. And that is what God uses. You know, no one ever finished the argument of, well, I don't know that we should be praying to Mary or not. And afterwards, like, you know, I'll just give my life to Christ. No, we are sinners in need of salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And it should be demonstrated by not only words, but also deeds of love. That uh, He's called to, to heal and to help here in our text. And he sends them also, not only are they low in number, they are weak, but he sends them out without a money bag or knapsack or sandals. And we saw Jesus do this to his disciples again in chapter 9. And why? because he's helping the early church to trust them, uh, to trust him, that they, they would trust him for all of their needs. Dependence is our goal, and so weakness is our strength. He's teaching the early church this, that we need to be fully dependent upon God. And I think there's another reason, and it's connected to his instruction about being received in the homes, and I'll get there in a mem- moment. But it also says don't greet anyone on the way, and I think this can be an excuse to be rude. It's like, well, does, t- t- you know, don't tell it, talk, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm just gonna, the Bible says, don't talk to anyone on the road, so I'm, I'm not going to talk to anyone on the road. No, no, that's not what it means. It's not an excuse to be rude. But it's the point that Jesus is making here is that you have a mission. Uh, so stop just hanging around. Just stop having all of your conversations uh, be about the weather or be about sports. You have been commissioned and been given a mission by Christ himself to go into the world to share the gospel, and so stop wasting your time on other things and start doing what you have been called to do. Time is short, and the gospel is too important for us not to be using our time well. And if you're received in a home, stay there accept hospitality, accept food, accept shelter, accept the kindness. The laborer is entitled to compensation, but also be content. Don't move around from house to house looking for better accommodations or better food. You know, I started in that, this house. I didn't really like what they had. I'm going to go to another house. Hey, you know, I heard that house over there, they have a pool, and it's, you know, I'm going to go over to that house. No, be content with what the Lord's provided for you. Resist the temptation to always want more. Let our first thoughts not be, well, maybe I need to replace my furniture in my house, or, you know, what do I eat, or what about this about my home, or this about my kids, that, that our first priority is Christ. It is our call 
to seek the souls of men. Okay, now, these, the poverty of the disciples, I think it also forced people to make a decision. I think when Jesus sends them out and they don't have anything and they go into the homes, the homes are then forced to then make a decision about what they're going to do with the disciples. Um, either they can receive them or they can reject them. And there are spiritual implications here. This is not just a commercial renting. Here, I'm going to give you, a, you know, some money. It's a commercial transaction, business transaction. I give you money, you let me stay there. No, there's something more here. Their message was the king's message. So the way people responded would indicate what the relationship to the king would be. How they responded to the message would determine whether they are going to submit to the king or whether they're going to rebel against the king. Peace will be for those who welcome the king's messengers, but peril for those who reject it. In verse 16, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This is what it means to be an ambassador. You know, an ambassador, they go to another country, they represent the home country's interests. And then the ambassador himself, he doesn't have any authority or power that is inherent in and of himself. His only power, his only authority is so much as what has been given to him by the one who sent him. And this is our power, this is our authority, no more and no less what is here in the word of God. And if it is received, then praise the Lord, they have received the king's message. But if it is rejected, woe, woe, woe to you. And it was symbolized in this shaking the dust off of their feet. Again, you might recall us talking about this in chapter 9, but Israel was considered holy as the holy land, as it is sometimes called, and it was set apart because that's where God's presence was. And what was unholy land is everything outside, uh, where the Gentiles and the pagans and those who reject God lived outside the holy land. So it became a rabbinic tradition that when a Jew went on a journey, uh, he would, that would take him across the borders of Israel into the Gentile land, uh, he, would, uh, he would be standing on land that was contaminated, unholy, unclean ground. And so when he came back to Israel, what the custom was before he crossed over the border into the Holy Land again, he would stop and literally shake off his uh, sandal from the dust, lest he bring something unholy, contaminated into the Holy Land. And so what Jesus is telling his disciples here, to do this as a testimony against those who don't receive you. It meant you weren't God's people, even if you lived in Jerusalem. It meant that you had rejected God. It was a sign that just because living in Jerusalem doesn't make you a, 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 a God's people. Just like going to church doesn't make you God's people. It doesn't make you a Christian by going to church. Just by living in Jerusalem doesn't make you a son of God. And again, here are the woes that if you reject God's messengers who faithfully proclaim the word, you reject Christ, and if you reject Christ, you reject the Father, Him who sent Him. Woes are given to Chorazin, to Bethsaida, and to Capernaum. The gospel had been preached there. 
The gospel ha- uh, uh, was proclaimed there and mir- miracles were even done there. But they have rejected Jesus, who is the Alpha and the Omega, and Jesus is everyone's end. And all one day, everyone will stand before him in judgment. And if you reject him, it will be more bearable for Sodom than for you. You remember what happened in Sodom. This is in Genesis chapter 10. The city is so wicked that they are consumed in God's judgment and fire. And yet it tells us that that will be more bearable than what you will experience if you reject the gospel. You will wish that you lived in Sodom than in Tampa when Christ comes if you have rejected the gospel. The greatest sin that is being committed in our day is not sexual perversion, it's not murder, it's not rape, it is the sin of unbelief and the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But no one cares about that. But yet, it'll be more bearable for Sodom than it will be for you if you reject it. Being here this morning is dangerous. Just like Jesus going into Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum was dangerous for them because they got to hear the gospel. And so do you, sinner, who knows that a great Savior has come to free you, to release you, to wash you clean from all of your sin. That all of your sin, not in part, but the whole would be nailed to the cross and that you would bear it no more. It's dangerous here because you have heard the gospel and you are now responsible for what you do with it. If you receive it, peace, 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 joy, life, resting in the Lord Jesus Christ, your conquering king, your good shepherd, your savior, your redeemer, your prophet, your priest. But if you reject it, suffering even more than Sodom. The kingdom of God is near. How will you respond to that message this morning? How will you receive it? That is how the text ends up. How will you receive that message? Will you reject it this morning or will you receive it? And then all of you who do receive it, God has then called you to then go share it and bring the message to other people. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you that you have given us your word, and this is a difficult text. Lord, we as we come and as we are hearing Jesus' words in chapter 9 and chapter 10, it feels like Jesus is certainly not taking it easy on us. Lord, I pray that you will help us to recognize what a great Savior we have, that that he came to redeem us, and that we can trust him, we can put our faith in him, Know that uh, he is over life and death itself. Lord, I pray that you will help us to rest in the gospel, to receive it, to have life and to hear peace. Father, I do also pray that you would stir our hearts up as you have called us to be harvesters, to share the gospel. And Lord, I do pray, as you have called us to do, that you would raise up even among us harvesters, ministers of the gospel, missionaries, 
pilots, medical missionaries, Bible translators, and people who will go into all the world to make the gospel known. But Lord, wherever you call us, help us to be faithful. Help us to be diligent to the calling you you have commissioned us to do. But when we fail as we do, let us come again to the cross and rest in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.